we put them on the the podcast um, app. So any kind of podcast player that you use, uh, it should come up. If you type in the church uh, name, Sparrow Baptist Church, it should come right up. And you can listen to those again if they're a blessing to you. Perhaps share them with someone that might be an encouragement to them as well. The title of the sermon today is Why the Cross? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Now, this is a subject that many books have been written about, and uh, many of the uh, books in the New Testament cover this topic. We're just going to bring out four thoughts of why the cross, and we're going to talk about um, this very important topic when it comes to our faith as Christians. Why the cross? We're going to see here in Matthew chapter number 27 verse number 33 says and when they were coming to a place called Golgotha that is to say a place of the skull they gave him vinegar to drink vinegar uh, is kind of like a really thin uh, sour wine and they mixed it with gall uh, which had kind of had like a stupefying effect it was almost like kind of not getting him drunk but they were trying to uh, they would do this for victims who were crucified. Many times victims who were crucified, of course, in the Roman Empire, this was um, a common way to execute criminals um, and people that they wanted to make an example of. Many times they would uh, remain on the cross for two or three days, perhaps. And essentially what was happening is they were slowly bleeding to death and they were slowly getting weaker and weaker And eventually they would die through asphyxiation. So they just couldn't. They basically had to push themselves up on the cross in order to take a breath. And then through the weakness, they would sink back down and then they would push themselves back up. And that's why when you see uh, depictions of Jesus on the cross um, and historical depictions of Roman crucifixion, they would put a nail through both of the feet, but the, 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 the legs would be bent Uh, So their legs wouldn't be straight, their legs would be bent. And that way, it actually prolonged their death. So they would be able to stay on the cross even longer. And so this was a very, very cruel and excruciating way to die. And as it says in verse number 34, uh, they would give this vinegar or kind of like a drug in a sense to stupefy them um, and... It says here in verse number 34, he would not drink. Notice he wouldn't drink it, right? He did not want to dull his senses when he was dying on the cross. Verse 35, and they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross. We can see the description here of him being crucified. He's between two thieves, guilt by association in a sense, dying as a common criminal. Uh, His accusation, verse 37, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews, an accusation, but also a mockery, right? He's claiming to be the King of the Jews and here he is dying on the cross. Uh, We know that Jesus, basically he died on the cross. It only took him about six hours to die. And that's why later on when they're saying, asking the question, is he, is he dead already? Um, that they were surprised that he was already dead. But we need to ask the question, why, why, 
for us as Christians, is it just the human suffering? Is it just an example for us that someone was willing to die for their beliefs? Or some people consider this to be a nonviolent um, example where they were kind of protesting in some way. Why the cross? Let's pray and we'll dig into these points. Father, we thank you so much for an opportunity to study the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross of Christ and what it means. Please, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, help me to convey some theological truth as to why Jesus died on the cross for us. Why is it so important? And God, I pray that you would speak to the heart of every person. If we're saved, help us to have a greater sense of commitment and love for you because of what you did for us. And if someone here is not, a, they're not saved. They've never made the personal decision to trust you as their savior. I pray that today would be that day. Helps to understand why the cross in Jesus name. Amen. Recent article came out that Facebook rejected an ad from a theology school. A Franciscan university in Ohio recently posted a series of ads on Facebook to promote some of its online theology programs. But Facebook rejected one of them because it it included a representation of the crucifixion. The monitors at Facebook said the reason for their rejection was that they found the depiction of the cross, quote, shocking, sensational, and excessively violent. The Franciscan University of Steubenville responded with a blog post that no doubt surprised Facebook. They agreed with Facebook's assessment. The Franciscan University posted this. Indeed, the crucifixion of Christ was all of those things. It was the most sensational action in history. Man executed his God. It was shocking, yes. God deigned to take on flesh and was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And it was certainly excessively violent. A man scourged to within an inch of his life, nailed naked to a cross and left to die. All the hate of all the sin in the world poured out its wrath upon his humanity. They went on to say that it wasn't the nails that kept Jesus on the cross, but his love for mankind. He was God. He could have descended from the cross at any moment. No, it was love that kept him there. Love for you and for me that we might not be eternally condemned for our sins, but might have eternal life with him and his father in heaven. Now, we need a quick reminder here. We don't worship the cross. We don't need a cross in our services for it to be Christian. We happen to have one here today, but it's not always here. And we certainly don't need to hold on to a cross or any form of a cross when we pray in order for our prayers to be heard. Jesus himself is enough. He is our mediator A cross, a rosary, or pictures or religious items do not help us to be heard by God. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator 
between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The cross itself is not the focus of Christianity, but who was on the cross is the focus of Christianity. The first thing that we see when we're talking about why the cross is it was a substitution for sinners. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? It's very important for us to recognize why was he up there? It's very easy for us to just focus on perhaps the physical suffering, and I didn't take the time today to go into deep detail of what Jesus suffered on the cross. Uh, Medical professionals um, have explored what it would do to the human body in great detail. These reports can be found of when someone is crucified and we're not going to take the time to do that. We're actually going to look more at the spiritual significance. When we're talking about being a Christian, having faith in Christ, what does it mean to us when we're looking at Jesus on the cross? What is the significance of Matthew 27? And that's really what the rest of the new Testament is talking about from this flows all of Christianity. From the, from the cross of Christ flows the rest of Christianity. Without the cross, you don't have the resurrection. The resurrection is the, is the pinnacle. Jesus was, he, he, he had victory over death when he rose again from the dead. We'll focus on that next week. But when we're talking specifically about the cross, what is it about the cross? The first thing that we see here is that It was a substitution for sinners. Christ suffered for us as a substitute. He suffered in our place. Let's take a moment and let's look at some verses together. Isaiah 53 is a beautiful portion of scripture which describes 700 years before Jesus died on the cross between seven and 800 years before describes in detail his death on the cross. And it begins to explain to us the significance when we are accepting Jesus as our savior. When we say we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, we are saying we believed that he died as our substitute. He took our sin upon himself He suffered in our place. Isaiah 53, and look at verse number six. It says, uh, let's go back up to verse four. Surely he hath borne or carried our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. If we go down to verse number 10, it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Notice notice these words here that we're talking about the cross here. Okay, 
We're talking about God the Father is looking on his son. Now, before we go any further, there's accusations flying, and there's always been this accusation that somehow that God the Father was this abusive father figure and that he made his son suffer for the sins of the world, that he forced him on that cross and he had to do this. But we're forgetting something. Jesus Christ himself was God as well. It was not God the Father forcing his son. It was Jesus the Son telling the Father, I want to do this. I will die for the sins of the world. Something that we forget is that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and there was a new spiritual kingdom that descended upon human beings. And when we are born, we are born into the spiritual kingdom of Satan. We are not under the spiritual dominion of God. We don't belong to God. We belong to God through creation. But spiritually, we belong to Satan. The Bible calls Satan that he is the the God of this world. He is the one that tempts people. He is the one that that, that influences. He is the one that he, he is in control of the system of this world. We've got to understand that when we look at the cross, that our sin is not free. That is one of the greatest lessons that we learn. We can excuse it. We can blame other people. But when we look at the cross, we realize the incredible price that our sin has because our sin separated us from God. And when we look at the cross, we see a willing substitute that was willing to take our punishment for our sin and say, punish me and let them go free. That's what we see when we see the cross. What a God. What a Savior. There is no love like his love where he is willing to suffer. The shame, willing to suffer. The guilt, willing to suffer. The the horrible accusations, the lies. Every sin that we ever committed was put on Jesus. There were three hours of darkness from the third hour to the sixth hour. And during those hours, that is when God spiritually put all of the sins on Jesus and he died in our place. This is the way to understand animal sacrifice in the Old Testament. The victim died. The animal sacrifice died in place of. The wages of sin is death. And when we look upon a cross, we can see that it is an implement of death. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, verse 10. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Notice that phrase, make his soul an offering for sin. This is why Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was because of our sin, because our sin separates us from God. And because Jesus took that sin upon himself and Jesus, the son of God, was separated from God, the father, when we accept Christ as our savior, we never have to say those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's what he did for us on the cross, a substitute for sinners. If we say, well, I've never accepted Christ as my savior, then you are choosing to suffer for your own sins. And we'll get to that in just a moment. The cross of Christ. 
another biblical word, a larger word, something that we don't necessarily use in daily conversation is found in Romans 5 and verse number 11, if you would, please. Romans 5 and verse number 11. Romans 5 and verse number 11. We find the word atonement. Romans 5 and verse number... Let's begin in verse number six, where it says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us. Notice this, it's talking about his love. How can God love us? God is love, but he, listen, His love cannot overlook the sin. God has a responsibility in this universe to be a just judge. How how can we talk about a judge here in Toronto who would look at crimes that someone has committed and just say, well, I love you, it's fine. We couldn't say that. That wouldn't be justice. Somebody has to pay for those things and rightfully the person who committed the offenses should be paying for those offenses, whether through a fine or through jail time or some some combination thereof. It's not free when we lie and when we get angry and when we're lustful and when we when we steal and when we and when we when we're proud and when we're rebellious and all of the sins the Bible talks about. When we put gods above God, these are not free. This is a cosmic injustice. It changed everything when Adam and Eve sinned. Disease came on this earth. Wars and famines. Volcanoes and and, and everything was different. This, This comes down to everything. Nowadays, we just want to talk about love and we want to talk about forgiveness and we want to talk about blaming somebody else. And we, we, don't, we don't live in this particular time period where animal sacrifice in the name of religion was very common worldwide. It was very common to sacrifice an animal during this time in the Bible days, Old Testament and New Testament. Nowadays, we don't have that. But we do understand injustice and we do understand that injustice is wrong. And we do understand that injustice causes pain and that when someone is wrongfully treated, that there's something that is, that is amiss. And how do we make this right? Well, we make this right through atonement. Somebody has to pay. Somebody has to suffer. And that suffering in modern day court could essentially be, as I said before, jail time or perhaps a fine or something like that. And it's not that God got his feelings hurt here. It's the fact that we are creation. We are not equal with God. Oftentimes when we think about God, we, we're, unfortunately, we oftentimes think of him a little bit more like ourselves or maybe just a little bit higher, almost like a government official or kind of like a government official that lives in the sky or something like that. No, no, no. <laughs> he, he created us. He has a right. And every, and every single wrong thing that is done is against him. And yes, we hurt one another when we commit sin. But it's against him. And so it says, God commendeth his love toward us. 
And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, being more than, uh, much more than, verse 9, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Verse 11, uh, verse 10, sorry. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have now received the atonement. Second Corinthians 5.21 says this, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Did God unjustly condemn his son to bear the sins of all mankind? No, Jesus willingly took this role upon himself. He was God dying for the sins of the world, the God-man, the son of God. He was a substitution for sinners. This is why we worship him. He died in our place. The next thing that we see here is it is a redemption from sin, a redemption from sin. Let's look at 1 Peter 1.18. 1 Peter 1.18. 1 Peter 1.18. Now here at Sparrow Baptist Church, we try to preach practical sermons. And I believe that when we learn the doctrines of the Bible, this is the foundation of the practical things. If we try to have victory over addiction or we try to have the right kind of attitude or we try to live the victorious Christian life as we just just went through a series on victory, it all comes back to these two truths, these two moments in history, the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. So we need to understand the cross of Christ so that we can have practical victory and live in, in uh, uh, pleasing to the Lord. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 says this, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, that converse, conversation means a lifestyle, empty, empty lifestyle, vain conversation, that's what that means, received by tradition from your fathers. Notice it's not money. Well, how much do I have to pay to be saved? not money. It's not gold and silver, silver and gold, right? It's not tradition. Well, if I keep the traditions, doesn't matter what tradition it is. Judeo-Christian, it doesn't matter if it's Islam. It doesn't matter if it's Buddhism. It doesn't matter. Tradition does not purchase our redemption. It doesn't purchase our salvation. Amen. Amen. You say, well, I've grown up in church. That's awesome. So did I. But growing up in church and following what we've been taught does not purchase our salvation. Well, I'm trying to be a good kid, trying to be a good guy, trying to be a good girl, trying to be a good person, trying to treat others with respect. That's awesome. Praise the Lord for that. And and I would rather be around someone that is like that versus someone who's not trying to be a good person. Right? (laughs) But it doesn't purchase our salvation. It says, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. A redemption in relation to sin, 
What does the cross of Christ mean? Why the cross? Because it redeemed us from sin. Now, what does the word redeemed mean? It says here at the bottom, liberation, right? We're set free from sin. Notice why he died on the cross for us. He died on the cross for us. His blood was shed so that we could be free from sin. He separated us from the power of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So why did he have to die? He died so that we could be free. Amen. Amen. And so now if we take the time to look at uh, a passage in Romans chapter number six, he died so that we can be free. Romans chapter six teaches us about having victory in this life, in this Christian life. And it teaches us that sin no longer has dominion over us. There is not a pattern. There is not a habit. There is not a feeling. There is not a temptation that can look to us as a Christian and say, I have got you. You have to do this. And there's nothing you can do about it. Because of the blood of Christ, we are free. When we talk about having liberty in Christ, and we talk about having freedom in Christ, it's because we are redeemed, and that's why the cross. Man, I like this stuff. Are you guys excited? I'm excited. Can you guys tell? I'm a little excited. i got to blow my nose, but I'm excited. So sorry. That's gross. Uh, Romans 7. Romans 7. Look at verse number uh, 7. It says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. That's just a statement of fact. Dead people don't have to worry about being tempted to sin anymore, right? Okay, if we go down to the graveyard, we don't have to say, hey, well, you know, they sinned yesterday. No, they didn't. They're dead. He that is dead is freed from sin. Verse eight. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. The strong desires of our flesh, we don't have to do that. We're free from that. We've been given a new nature. Now we're not sinless perfection. We're gonna fall and we're gonna fail. But because of the cross of Christ, we can live in victory. We don't have to walk around with the mindset of, I have to do that. Well, you don't know my family. My family's always done that. The blood of Christ is stronger than your family background. Now, Jesus Christ, was, he, was, he was a human being. God became flesh. And when he became flesh, he was, he was a type, an archetype. And so when he, when he died, he was dying for all of human beings. All of us, he died. And because he died and he was the perfect sacrifice, he has given us the victory over sin. And that's what he did for us on the cross. Sin shall not have dominion over you. He will not, it will not have power over you. You're not under the law, but under grace. We are redeemed. We are liberated from sin. That's why we praise him. That's how we can live the Christian life. That's how we don't have to walk around in defeat. The next one is salvation is now possible. So when Jesus died on the cross, he changed the relationship of God towards the world. Now salvation was possible. 
In the Old Testament, people were looking toward Christ dying on the cross. Now we look back 2,000 years to when he died on the cross. But if he hadn't have actually died on the cross, no one would have been saved. Reconciliation in relation to the world. It means he changed the relationship from hostility to harmony. And he is the peace between two parties. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. 2 Corinthians 5 and 18. Reconciled to big word. And not, again, not a word that we would use commonly. But we understand that when you have something between you and somebody else, there's something wrong with the relationship that it's really, really, really good when all of a sudden something happens and, and you get together and peace is made. And you have to kind of restore that relationship and it takes a little bit of time. But that thing that was between you is now gone. When you see that person, it's not one of, it's more of one of like, hey, how's it going? Right? Nervous, awkward at first. Right? Especially if it's been a long time since you've talked. Some people haven't talked to people in their lives for years and years. Something happened and they just stopped talking. Well, we've got to understand that as much as people want to talk about spirituality and religion, we don't have true spirituality and a true relationship with God without Jesus Christ. We just don't have peace with God because we're nice people. We've got to have someone that makes peace for us. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 18, and all things are of God who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Notice that God is the one that's doing this. We're talking about how God is justice and we're separated from God. But notice that God is the one that put forth Jesus Christ so that we could be saved unto himself. It's like somebody raising their hand saying, I'll take the bill. I'll pay the price so that I can have a relationship with him once again. And that's exactly what God did for us. And that's why the cross is so important. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God looks at the world now as he wants a relationship. He wants to be connected. He wants to save. He wants to forgive. He wants to tell. Why is all the bad things that are happening in this world? Because people are not reconciled to God. The vast majority of this world cusses God's name day in and day out. They use it as a common curse word. And when they're really upset, they say, JC. And they try to make their friends laugh with their profanity. They take great joy in doing things that are wicked and awful and terrible. And there's something inside our heart the Bible calls that iniquity. There's something inside of us that knows that we're accountable to God, but the, but the sinful part of us takes great joy in doing these things and sticking our fist up to God and saying, ha, you try to tell me what to do. 
Every time an atheist tries to say, I don't believe in God, verbally and spiritually, they're trying to give God the middle finger and stick it up to heaven. Now imagine if they were doing that to us. As in individually. Imagine if you heard somebody in your life every single day cursing you and swearing at you and doing all of the things that you absolutely detest and hate. And then also being burdened with the responsibility that these things cannot just go free. You cannot turn a blind eye. And we'll get to that in in a moment. But these things make God justifiably angry. It's against his very nature. It's as if you and I were trying to go out and get some roadkill and eat it. Go out there and find a poor raccoon. All the trash pandas in Toronto. Right? And find one out there that's gotten hit by a car. Been out there two or three days in July. Come on now. You guys are jogging by. It's like, (laughs) that terrible, terrible smell of rotting flesh. And the next time you come by, you've got a little, you've got a knife and a fork. And you just sit down. There's no way we could eat that. It would make us sick. It's totally against our nature. But there are some animals out there that can't. Crows and other things. And then we have to understand that's the way God is towards our sin. He cannot just sit there and look at it and say, oh, I love you anyway, and just digest it. It's absolutely against his nature. Love does not just let us have our own way. The wages of sin is death. And why the cross? So that God could then redeem us and buy us back, liberate us from our sin, and absolutely forgive us for all of our sin. The last one is um, that Christ was a propitiation in relation to God. Now, this is a big word, and I almost didn't put it on here. You guys may not know this, but pastors always, not always, but we routinely will ask our wife stuff before we say it publicly. And I'm like, hey, uh, what do you think about this? She helps me out. It's good. It's what we do that for each other, right? Propitiation, that's a big word. We don't use that in common day language most of the time. But it's an important Bible word. And it kind of makes our faith a little bit shallow if we absolutely delete it. And so I kept it in here. And what does it mean? It means that God turned away his wrath because of the offering of Christ. Now we'll just look at a few verses and we're almost done. And then we'll have a, a, a relevant question at the end. Well, let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2. First John 2 and 1 and 2 says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. 
And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the propitiation. This is why if we take a look at what the Catholic Church teaches and says, well, you have to accept Jesus and be baptized as an infant, but then you also have to live day by 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 day as a really good person in order to maybe make it to heaven. That absolutely goes against the doctrine of the propitiation of Christ. Jesus, with the death of himself and the giving of himself on the cross, absolutely 100% for the whole world, for all time, appeased God's wrath towards sin. Amen. The Bible says in John 3, 36, he that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Why don't we have peace, naturally have peace in this world because of sin? And if we have sin, the wrath of God abides on us. We will be judged for our sin. It will happen. We will die and go to a devil's hell. It will happen. Uh, I had somebody ask me one time. He's like, uh, this buddy at the, at the gym, workout buddy. He's like, oh, you're a pastor? He's like, you one of those, you know, like hell and fire and brimstone pastors? That can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. But listen, you don't have the love of God without the wrath of God. God is angry at sin. It, it is a consistent theme throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and some people say, well, he's like these pagan deities where they just have to be appeased through all this blood sacrifice because they're always just so angry. If you look at Greek mythology, a lot of Hinduism is like that. The, the, the gods are just these big, angry, just, and everything bad that happens in my life is you've got to appease them. I recently uh, reread the book, Seven Years in Tibet. And even in Buddhism, it's the same way. It's not blood sacrifice, but it's sacrifices of butter candles and sacrifices of tsampa, which is like this dough stuff. And through all these rituals, and they're constantly trying to appease the deities. Calm them down so that I can have a calm inside. That's what these religions teach. And we know deep inside of us in our consciences that when we do wrong, we are accountable to a higher power. And that's why we don't have peace in our heart. Where does the peace come from? It comes from Christ. Christ is the appeasement. Christ is the appeasement. Man, what truth. What love. 1 Thessalonians 9 and 10. 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 9 and 10 say, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath 
to come. There is a coming wrath on sin. There is, a, there is coming judgment day. Judgment day is coming. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The unsaved to answer for the deeds that have been done in their body, whether they be good or evil. And the saved not to answer for our salvation, but we will stand before God for what we have done with his salvation. We will stand before him. And we will not stand before him with fear of his wrath, but simply of his displeasure. He's given us this amazing gift of salvation. And that leads me to the last verse that I have, which is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. This world doesn't want to talk about hell unless it's used as a, a word of profanity. There is a real hell. Well, I don't believe in that. I don't believe a loving God would send people to hell. Let me tell you something, friend. There is a loving God, and he's, he allowed his son to suffer for the sins of the entire world. And that shows his love. And he doesn't want you to go to hell. And he's done everything that he possibly can. And he will not force us into accepting his son because he's given us that free will. And by his grace, we must use our free will to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our savior, or we will go to that devil's hell to suffer for eternity. That is biblical truth. And that's why he came. Jesus did not just come and suffer because he was a nicer guy than the Pharisees. He was not Gandhi. That was standing against Roman imperialism. Do not believe for a second that kind of political garbage. He was the son of God who died for the sins of the world. That's the message of the cross. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? You're not your own. If you're bought with a price. What's the price? Jesus. He purchased us with his own blood. His own life. He literally died for us. And he's the only one that could have. And yes, he rose victorious over sin, hell, and the grave three days later. And we'll celebrate that by God's grace next week. But why should I live for him? Why should I care? Why should I be faithful to church? Why should I seek to serve him? Why should I glorify him? In my body and in my spirit. Notice it doesn't just give us one or the other. It's both. Why should I give him my heart? Why should I make him the Lord of my life, the boss of my life, the leader and the guide of my life? Why should I seek first to say, does it please you? Because he died for me. This world and all the self-help and most of the therapy always comes back to us. You are the greatest. You are incredible. They did you wrong. And they constantly look for, for people for us to blame. And not that there aren't people that have hurt us. But we need to understand that Jesus Christ loved us so much. 
that he took all of the pain and all the injustices that this entire world has ever done upon himself. So that, listen, so that both the victim and the victimizer can be forgiven. What a God. What a Savior. What does he require of us but to walk humbly with him? To serve him with our life. Listen, friends, it's not about rules. It's not about finding whatever rules Pastor Corey wants to do in the church or finding what kind of church and the rules and rules, rules, rules. And it's about a relationship. It's about following him because I love him. Not because my parents think I should. Not because they'll catch up on me. Not because they'll find out what I'm doing. Not because I'm, 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 I don't want to get scolded. No, it's because of him. And if you're doing it for any other reason than that, it won't last. And some of us can't do it because we've never been saved. We've never been saved. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify him in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.